A Pulp MX Network production. Welcome to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show presented by Maxis Tires and Renthal on RacerXOnline.com. With your continued support of our sponsors, we have surpassed 1,500 podcasts delivered with over 15 million downloads. Click that Amazon banner on Pulp MX to help us out. Donate via Patreon if it suits you. As always, enrich your moto lifestyle by working with the sponsors who support us. Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Hey everybody, it's Steve Mathis. I'm proud to say that insulin for diabetes was invented right there in my home country of Canada, same great country that brought us Ross, Rollerball Peterson, and, of course, Putin. It was a shocker to me to learn that, on the average, the same insulin in the United States that can be upwards of 10 times more expensive than the same product in Canada. The Prairie Insulin and Meds believes that taking care of your health shouldn't burden you financially. I think we all can agree on that. Uh, we've been able to team up with those guys to get Pulpamex customers an additional 10% off the already low Canadian prices on insulin and all other prescription medications. Check it out. Tell your family and friends. PrairieInsulin.com. Make sure you tell them Pulp MX sent you to get your discount. Thanks for listening, everybody. Welcome, everybody, to the Fly Racing Racer X podcast presented by Renthal and Maxis. I'm Steve Mathis, of course. Uh, tragic news this morning. Uh, motocross icon Marty Smith and his wife Nancy perished in an apparent dune buggy accident somewhere in California. Details, as I do this uh, in the morning, aren't readily available so i don't know the whole story about it but we know that we've lost uh marty smith and his wife and truly a tragic uh deal i think he was 64 years old america's uh three-time 125 motocross national champion and uh also did a 125 gps as well in the same season as he did one of the years of the nationals and once super, super crosses and everybody's going to talk about how he was the teen idol and he had good looks and he was ripped and factory honda rider and all of that um back then and and it was all true so but for me i had a personal relationship with marty and it went back a long time ago growing up in manitoba uh, our local motocross club uh, decided to bring up bring him up for motocross schools you know he was retired at this point and everything else and so they brought him up for a motocross school and my family who was involved in the organization um somehow drew the uh short straw or whatever it was to pick Marty up and take him around and bring him to the track and pick him up at the hotel and all of that for his weekend up there teaching us. So we got to know him pretty well over that. And I think we brought him up two or three years. Very nice guy. Very humble. I remember he wore his shoes in the house, which was not cool with my mom. And he still uh, was a Southern California guy through and through. And um, of course, born and raised in San Diego, right? And he was just so different, such a different guy from uh what we're used to growing up in the middle of canada you know but anyway so marty did the school with us that year and i think two other years and he came up with gary semix one year too they brought up two guys and uh it was a, it was a deal marty made some money and, and we learned some some stuff and 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 also you know uh, he regaled us with with lots of cool stories and and we struck up a little bit of a friendship and in 1990 our family drove down did we drive down? No, we flew down to California and uh, kept in touch with Marty. This time he earned a surf shop in San Diego, Smitty's it was called, and had body glove stuff and surfwear and, and all of this cool stuff. And we did the whole family trip and went down and saw him. And, and uh, you know, he was great and very nice and met his wife and she was awesome and uh, really cool guy. And then at some point, I don't know how it came up, but um, I ended up staying back down in California. My whole family went home. I stayed back. Marty got me a KX250 to ride, and we went to Palm Avenue, and I stayed back with Marty for, I think, two weeks. There's another story about me getting home from there. I don't know if I've told it on the show, but anyways, uh, so there I was, staying with Marty and his wife. We went to the arcade and the putt-putt place to play Excite Bike. 
a, a bunch. Uh, he had another kid there, a guy from Kansas. I don't know his name, but we struck up a little bit of a friendship, and we'd go riding at Palm Avenue and, and, and Barona Oaks, and I think, my, I think my dad paid him a bit of money, or maybe he just did it to reward us for helping him out, you know, at the schools. I don't remember. I was a kid. But um, Marty would be like, okay, you want, you know, he was, Marty was very big on aggression, and you got to be aggressive. You got to get in there. You got to get your elbows up. You got to be aggressive. And he would play this game of tag in Palm Avenue where he would chase, you would be it, and he would chase you, and he would have to physically hit your bike with his front tire, and now you're it, and you turn around and you haul ass. And obviously, Marty knew Palm Avenue much better than I did. Uh, as a as a kid from Canada, and uh, he was really good at the game, but we were frustrated. But he said it would take away the instincts and in the, or it would make you th- take away your thinking and just get you on instincts t- uh, to catch him. And uh, it was a different deal. And yeah, I hung out with Marty Smith, man, for like two weeks, and uh, it was cool. And um, great guy, like I said, awesome dude. Uh, he was very modest. He was into dune buggies back then. He had sand rails and stuff and with VW motors or whatever the hell they put on the back of them. And they were fast as shit. I remember he would start one up and, and for me and it was just like just basically a motor with a, you know aluminum chassis around it. So, um, And then obviously I drifted apart from him from there and I reconnected with him. He was a rider coach at uh, for a race team, I want to say late early 2000s and ran into him in a supercross and, and introduced myself and and he he totally remembered me asked me how mom and dad were uh asked me how my brother was uh all of that stuff he, he was really cool and uh we picked up just like it was old times and i've done the same thing with semex too I've gotten to see gary at some east coast nationals but um yeah and so then i did a podcast with him and i remember talking to him about it and we and we cover me coming down there and doing the school with him and all of that in this podcast, and uh, yeah, just a hell of a nice guy. Wife was awesome too; she treated me very nicely. And um, man, we're gonna miss him. Uh, he was a motocross icon. He was truly a hero, and uh, he was a bit before my time. But if you're older than I am, and I'm in my mid forties, if you're if you're older than I am, he was the guy. He was RJ. RJ was you know my guy, and Mar- Marty was RJ. Marty was McGrath. Marty was Stu. Marty was RC. He was all of that, just in the mid to late 70s. That's what he was. He was that good, and he was that amazing uh, of a rider. And, yeah, man, I woke up this morning. I'm bummed. Hadn't talked to him for a number of years. Probably saw him, probably at a race, whatever, Supercross Anaheim or something, San Diego. Um, but, you know, still uh, good memories of Marty Smith. That's that's what I'm going to have, good memories of Marty Smith. RIP to him and Nancy. And uh, amazing guy, amazing rider. So here's a podcast that we did in 2009. Thought I'd re-release it now. Um, be safe, everyone. Please enjoy. Welcome to the Racer X Podcast Show. I'm your host, Steve Mathis. I want to thank our uh, our sponsor, BTOSports.com, who's joined us on board for a little promo there. I, I urge you guys to uh, shop there, and I urge you guys to listen to this, an American motocross icon and uh this is Marty Smith. Marty, how you doing? Excellent. How you doing, Steve? I'm good. I'm good. I don't throw around the word icon to anybody. I want you to know that. So, <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Uh, and actually, for for some of the people who are who are wondering about this, you and I have some history, don't we? Oh yeah. Shoot, I think uh, it must go back to the uh, the early '80s. Back, I think I came up and visited you guys in was it, it was Winnipeg? '90s. Yeah, in the '90s, uh, Winnipeg. Yeah, in '91 uh, and '92. I think. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, for the people listening there, Marty uh, obviously is, is known for his motocross schools and, his, uh, of course, his stellar racing career. But um, Marty somehow got roped into coming up to Winnipeg, to Canada, where I live, to uh, to teach him schools. And, and, uh, and I don't know how it worked out, but I was in charge of you. I had to find you a bike and cater you around and, and take you places. And you met my family and came in. And then and, uh, the next previous year, you, you took taught, taught us a couple of schools. And then the next year... Do you remember me coming down to your place and staying down there? Oh yeah, for like a month. <laughs> yeah, that that you raised havoc with my family. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, that was crazy. My, I was down there on a vacation, and my parents were like, "Hey, you just want to stay back and ride with Marty Smith?" And I'm like, "Uh, yeah." And uh, I had to take a bus back 
from your place. You drop me off at the bus station. I take a three-day bus trip back to Winnipeg. And let me tell you, that bus trip really sucked, but I was glad to, to hang out with you and ride at Palm Avenue. And I remember it was—I remember it like it was yesterday. It was so cool to do that. So. Oh, that's bitching. That's bitching. Yeah, you know that place, Palm Avenue, was, was uh, a lot of guys rode there. I brought a lot of guys there. A lot of guys that are uh, were were at the time up and coming pros that uh, you know ended up riding uh, Supercross or Nationals rode at Palm Avenue. And mm-hmm. of course, all the guys from from the San Diego area. You know, myself, Ricky Johnson, uh, Brock Lover. Ronnie Lachine, Tripes, uh, we Croft, we all rode it. Uh, we all rode at Palm Avenue one time or another. Yeah, it was it was so cool for for me to spend time with with a legend like you. And I remember one of your twisted games was like a tag game where you actually hit the dude. We would try to hit each other and then you know chase the other guy around. And I was thinking to myself, this doesn't seem safe, but Marty Smith says it is, so I'm going to do it. <laughs> You know what? Uh, we played that a lot back then, and uh, mm-hmm. it, it was—it's uh, actually—it's a pretty good drill. It's a really good drill, and uh, when you when you think about how we did it, it was probably—it could have been dangerous, <laughs> but it was—it was highly supervised by yes. me, of course. Yes, of course. Uh, what do you remember about Winnipeg? I know it's uh, like tw- twenty years ago now, but uh, what do you remember? Well, you know, I remember that the people were really friendly. Uh, the dirt was really dark and loamy. It was uh, it was bumpy. Tracks had some fun jumps on it, and uh, just the hospitality. You guys showed me a, a real good time and showed me a lot of hosp- hospitality. It was a, it was a great couple trips. Yeah, and uh, uh, now let's talk now. Now, obviously, I didn't make it as a pro rider. Here, clearly, here I am interviewing you. But uh, what do you remember about my skills? Can, can you can you think back? Uh, I try to forget those things. Oh man! No, just kidding. <laughs> no, you know, um, uh, well, I- you know, everybody that I rode with uh, in my schools, um, you know, they were all there. They all all had one common denominator, as far as I was concerned, and that was most of them had heart. And you were right in there with that, Steve. You had you had a ton of heart, and you had a ton of ambition, and a, and a ton of drive, and uh, just a, a lot of love for the sport. And and you know, that's something that no. Nobody can ever take that away from you, Steve. Oh, thanks, Marty. I appreciate it. Um, man, these schools, how long have you been doing these things for? It's 2009. What? Well, um, I've been teaching for, uh, shoot, 20, almost 27 years. Damn. Wow. motocross schools. My first school was in 1983 at Saddleback mm-hmm. Park here in California. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And, uh, yeah, really one of the innovators of the motocross school, right? One of the first guys to really do it. Well, you know what? When I started schools, there was a guy named Russ Darnell, mm-hmm. and um, I'm not sure. Uh, let's see, uh, Ralph Tiblin. Oh yeah, Ralph Tiblin. Yeah, he was yeah. one of the very first guys, if not the first. And so, yeah, I was, I was probably one of the pioneers when it comes to motocross schools, and it was something that I never really wanted to do. It just kind of, just kind of evolved in that. You know, I had retired from racing in '83, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, I had a lot of people. People would approach me probably every every week and say, "Hey, um, why don't you why don't you do motocross classes? Teach a class." You know, and I had no interest in it. And finally, you know, I got enough grief from everybody. Dude, you got to do it. You got to do it. So uh-huh. I didn't really know how to teach. I didn't I didn't know how I was going fast or you know what made me do what I did. But uh, I just started teaching, and uh, and it evolved into uh, uh, what it, what it ended up now, which is yeah. uh, it's been a career for me. It's been a, another career. Yeah, really. Uh, and, and what's funny is that you know a lot of these kids they don't know you from your racing they just know you as the motocross school guy probably you know which is which is amazing it's how long you've been doing it for well you know it's really funny too steve is um it's evolved into the second and third generation you know right. back in the day back in the early 80s when i when i was teaching um guys would come to me that um were fans of mine that had watched me race and um come to see me at all different tracks whether it be supercross or outdoors and um you know they would say oh now now marty's teaching schools you know whether they really wanted to learn or not they would want to come <laughs> ride with me yeah yeah and so uh so that's how i got business back in the day and then as as it evolved into the 90s and into the 
early 2000s, um, these these guys that came to my school, well, they have kids now that are racing, and they are still fans, and they want to send their kids to my school. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, so now, um, in the 90s and the early 2000s, I got, the, I got my fans' kids um, <laughs> that came to my school. And now, we're going into 2010, and um, I've got the vet riders, which are the guys that were my fans that came back in the early 80s that were just kids. Well, now they've gone through the period of, of raising a family, running a company, or running a business or securing themselves in a company, and now they've got time to where they, uh, they they can be a vet rider, and the vet class, as you know, is really big each mm-hmm. weekend. And now these guys are coming back to me as a vet rider. So <laughs> it's like a third-generation uh, uh, yeah. client. I don't know if that's inspiring or depressing, right? <laughs> hey, you know, I'm totally inspired by it because, you know, I feel I feel like I take pride in my condition, and um, I can go out there and I can ride with, uh, with just about anybody. You know, I can't ride with these young kids now, these the top pros, of course, but anybody else, you know, I can hold my own. I still feel like I, I'm comfortable with all the jumps mm-hmm. and um, take good care of yourself. And it's, it's uh, seriously, it's yeah, I totally take pride in it, Steve. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's awesome. How do you feel the motocross school industry is going? I feel like it's kind of died down in the last little while. The motocross school industry? Yeah, like just the, I remember there was a hate, there was an explosion, and there was a ton of guys doing it, and it's almost like the herd has been thinned, and it, and it leaves sort of you and Gary and, and Tony D kind of still doing it, and maybe some guys have come and gone. You know what I mean? Well, in actuality, Steve, um, my my point of view on motocross schools and motocross teachers, um, and and you'll probably get this from if you talk to Gary or Tony. Um, what really goes on when it comes to being a motocross instructor is it starts uh, it starts way back in, in in a guy's early days of riding. A guy will ride um, ride for fun, and as he gets older, as he gets older, he. Uh, you know, he'll turn into a, a, maybe a young pro, and um, he'll want to make a career at it. So the so the mom and dad will say, "Okay, look it, we're going to homeschool this guy, this guy, because we want him to have the best opportunity mm-hmm. to be um, a factory rider." Well, the kid goes through homeschool, and um, as it goes, as it as it turns out, they go to homeschool, and and when they should be doing homework during the week, um, they're riding, or the parents get busy, and they don't end up doing all the work, the homework, and the kid kids really aren't learning anything and um, what happens is they turn pro and they didn't really go to school they went to homeschool which again they learned nothing Mm -hmm. and um, as they as they turn pro and they didn't make it um, what happens is after their racing career they want to start a new career but they really don't have a clue what to do because a lot of these guys just don't have a lot of savvy as far as the outside world. All they know is motocross, mm-hmm. and all they know is how to how to ride, how to train. So they say they say to themselves, "Okay, well, look, um, I don't know anything. Um, what can I do? Well, I'm going to be a motocross teacher." Right. So that's why in the last ten years there's been a huge rash of motocross teachers because these are guys that basically rode motocross that may, maybe never made a career of it or couldn't make a living out of it, mm-hmm. and they don't know what else to do, Steve, so they, uh, they, they're, they're a motocross teacher. They're just an automatic motocross teacher because that's all they know. Right. That's, that's all they know. They, they don't know construction. They don't know, they don't know electronics. They don't know um, uh, carpentry. They, don't know, they pretty much don't know anything because they were raised to ride a motorcycle and that's mm-hmm. all they know. Yeah, no. And and that's why there's been a rash of motocross teachers. And uh, unfortunately, you're going to run across a lot of guys that are motocross teachers that have no qualification and no skills to to be that. Right. And uh, and I mean, for yourself, doing it, you know, almost 30 years, uh, surely you've you've gotten better as it, as the time's gone on. I'm sure. And and now you've you've kind of refined your your uh, your act. What? What do you find most people do? What's the most common mistake you see? And I mean, I know it's kind of vague, but just off the top no, of your no, head. No, that's no, that's an easy one, Steve. Mm-hmm. There's a couple things people do. They sit down too much, um, and, and they sit. sometimes they sit too far back on the seat. That's a common one. Um, they, mm-hmm. None of the guys, very few of the guys ride on the balls of their feet. They all ride in their arches. Right. Um, a lot of the guys don't hold on with their knees. They wonder why their upper body gets so tired, and um, a big portion of them aren't re-gripping. Um, uh, it, there's so many things that guys don't do. Mm-hmm. 
and um, even the young pros, the guys that are riding the pro class, uh, they have problems with the same sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. They sit down too much. They, uh, I mean, it just goes on and on. Uh, do you notice four strokes making riders lazier? Because I think they do. <laughs> well, um, I don't know if it's four strokes that make guys lazier, um, but I know that the big bike, the big 450, you get a guy that normally rides a 250 or a, a yeah. you know 125, 250F, you know whatever the case may be, and then all of a sudden he gets on a 450. 450 has power in any gear and, and pretty much any RPM. All they got to do is just play with the clutch mm-hmm. a little bit. It, get, it, it makes a guy very lazy to ride a 450, but right. to go get on a 450 and go race a 450 and be competitive in a pro class, um, that's a different story. Yeah. Um, uh, no, good points for sure. No doubt about it. What do you? Before we get too far, where can people go to uh, to learn more about your schools? I'm sorry, I lost that. Steve, what'd you say? Where can people go to uh, to learn more about your schools on the web? Is Probably it? the easiest way is MartySmithMotocross.com. Okay. All right. Marty I've got Smith. a bitchin' website. They can check it out. Um, there's a trailer there, a, a small two minute trailer of my motocross uh, DVD. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of which, uh, I saw you ca- caught your MX files a while back. That was awesome. It had to make you feel pretty good to be part of that, huh? Love it. Absolutely. Todd Huffman's incredible. Yeah, they, he's done a great job with those shows, no doubt about it. And, uh, man, your Lucas Oil commercial, you know, yeah, you're blowing yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? It's uh, I'm I'm really I'm really uh, I'm really thankful and I'm really honored that uh, that the industry still keeps me involved and um, you know it, it kind of goes back to um, back in the day when I was a factory rider. I always stayed back. I signed autographs um, for people. I never I never uh, I never pushed people aside and um, people remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, it's always been good to me. This sport's been very very good to me. <laughs> yeah, it has definitely. I know a lot of people uh, still talk about your heyday as being their introduction to motocross, you know what I mean? And I did one of these with uh, with Glover, and uh, he had nothing but good things to say about you. You were kind of his hero, you know, when he was a kid. So uh, Brock's a good guy, and, and uh, we, we go way back. Shoot, we go way back, yeah. Brock and I. Do you travel much for your schools? Not, not really, no. Steve. Um, I, I'm going to Houston to Rio Bravo uh, December 5th mm-hmm. for a school back there. <clears throat> but um, I normally stay out. That's about as far as I go. Texas is about as far as yeah. I go. Yeah. There to go. <laughs> uh, I turned into a homebody these days. Well, you live in beautiful San Diego. I don't blame you. Uh, yeah. Hey, I saw you at the U.S. Open being interviewed on the uh, on the big screen there. Oh. And, and uh, what do you, what do you think of the races nowadays? When you uh, when you come around, I see you at Anaheim's and stuff. Well, what's your what's your take on it? Well, my take is that uh, <clears throat> you know, without question, the sport has gotten a lot more a uh, lot more dangerous. Um, when it comes to the riders, uh, I don't think the riders have the heart today, and, mm-hmm. and, and I'm pretty sure I'm correct on this. And, and the guys that come back from my era, they'd pretty much agree. They'd back me up on that one. That the, the riders, uh, the majority of the riders, just don't have the heart, mm-hmm. and they don't have the dedication that it takes. I mean, come on, Steve. These guys, um, you know, uh, you know, some of these guys that are winning the races, you know, like like Ricky and Bubba and 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 Chad and uh, you know. Some of these other guys, they're lapping up to third, fourth, fifth place. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, these guys are out there, and it's, it's almost like they're just happy to be at the show, and they don't really care if they're getting lapped. I mean, how slow, how much off the pace do you got to be to get lapped and still get a, a fourth or fifth place? How right. far off the pace are you, Steve? Yeah. That's yeah. incredible. And it is. As far as I'm concerned, if I got a fourth or fifth place or a third place and I got lapped, there's no way in hell I'd be happy with that. Mm-hmm. I'd be disgusted. I'd, I'd be embarrassed to show up the next week. Certainly we don't have the uh, parody in our sport that we did back in your day, you know, with, no, with everybody yeah. going at it, or even the 80s, even the mid-80s, you know. We, yeah, you know, back in the 70s there was there was, uh, there was was 10 guys that could win the, could win the race. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree with that. You don't see that anymore. It's James and Bubba, uh, James and Bubba, James and uh, Chad are on another level, uh, yeah. you know. And, and what, what what is it though? What what makes those guys so much better? What they do you want think? They want is that it? it? They want it. Okay. They just, they just want it worse than everybody else. Right, and, right. Um, I know. I know that when it comes to training, uh, these guys train their butts off. They and do. Yeah. They really do. And 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 to be honest with you, if if you saw what what Bubba and Chad and and say Villapoto, some of these guys, what they do for training, um, I just don't understand why the rest of the rest of the guys. Um, 
aren't out there doing the same thing because really it isn't that big of a secret, Steve. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys to to be better than everybody, you got to do more than everybody. Yeah. And, and 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 it doesn't take anybody a big genius to figure that part out. And um, <laughs> these guys that are riding around in, in seventh, eighth, ninth place, year after year after year, it's like, you know, maybe the first year, second year, third year in the in, in the pro class, maybe you haven't figured it out yet. But after after two or three years in the pro class, and you're still riding around in, in seventh, eighth, tenth, fifteenth place. I mean, come on, yeah. guys, figure it out. Is it is it is it part of it the money? Because you know the money nowadays is. Uh... It's insane compared to levels that you were making. And you were highly paid back in the day. So is it that it? Are the guys just taking the money, you think? Um, no, really, Steve, like I said, um, just, it's I work. feel that it's these work. guys are just happy to be out there. Right, right. They, they love just being a part of the program. Mm-hmm. They love just being there. Um, they love getting their gear on, walking through the pits, <laughs> kind of playing the role, you know? Yeah, yeah. And you know what I'm talking about. It's it's uh, it's just uh, it's a sad deal. They're out there for the wrong reasons. Right, right. You uh, know? And, and like I said, these guys are out there riding riding around in 20th place and 30th place, and, and um, you know, they're, they're acting all cool it's like oh I'm, I'm badass you know but then when they get to the start line their tails are between their legs and they're coming out 25th 30th place again but walking around through the pits uh, during the week they're all the tough cool pro guys you know yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's just to me it's just out there they're out there for the wrong reasons okay um have you ever trained any of the pro guys? Have you been approached? Have you tried to break into that area? Have you thought about it, et cetera, et cetera? You know, Steve, that's that's a, that's an era uh, that, um, honestly, I just I don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a lot of traveling that's involved. There's a lot of uh, being away from uh, from my family that's, that, that would involve that. Right. And, um, I just can't do it. I've, uh, I've always been one of these guys that uh, um, I've never been into just – you know, strictly making money and looking to make money my whole life. That, mm-hmm. That's not my deal. My deal is to live happy and live comfortable and, and spend as much time with my family as I can. And, and in order to do that, um, it, would, it would probably make it almost physically impossible to teach, to teach some of these pro, gri- pro guys to go to the races and, and be with them during the week as much as I am and still keep my normal clientele. It just, yeah. it just, uh, there, it just wouldn't be possible. But as far as pro guys, yeah, you know, shoot, I, you know, Ryan Hughes has been a, a student of mine years back. Jeremy was a student of mine back when he was about 13. Mm-hmm. Um, shoot, I had uh, uh, Casey Johnson, Casey Lytle, um, shoot, Robbie Bell. Um, you know, the list goes on. There's not a lot of, again, my, my focus has never been to, to go after the pro guy. But right. if, if pro guys do need help, um, absolutely I'm there. Yeah. Because um, I, th- I thought you were involved with Motorsport Outlet a little bit when I first got on the scene years ago. Like five, six years ago, but maybe not. That's why I asked. No, you know what? I worked with uh, Motorsport Outlet for a couple years. Tiger Lacey and those guys. Yeah. and Sean Collier, those guys were a good bunch of guys, and uh, it was really tough. There again, I, I had to go to every single national and all the Supercross. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, you know, it hurt my normal local clientele here in Southern California, mm-hmm. and uh, that's really where my business is. And um, if you combine that with the the, the 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 pain, the pain of being gone every week and being away <laughs> from my family, yeah, it, it just wasn't worth it. And I, I had I had to put a stop to it. Right, right. Um, and how often do you get out on a bike right now, just to ride? Oh, I shoot. I ride the bike uh, usually about three or four days a week. Teaching. Uh, yeah, yeah. Do you go to Barona a lot? Do you go a lot of, out there? I go to Barona. There's yeah. a new track out here called Campo. Uh-huh. Um, still go up up north a little bit to Star West and Paris yeah. and Elsinore. But uh, um, if I can stay close down here to San Diego, I do. Have you seen Dogger out? I guess he's dropped a bunch of pounds. Oh man, hey Ronnie looks really good. Ronnie yeah, good has for dropped him. about Ronnie's dropped probably forty pounds, maybe, maybe. Shoot, I don't know. He just looks really good. He's going fast on his bike, yeah. and um, I'm not sure, but I thought he was going to ride that Vet World Championship. I don't know if he did or he didn't, but I don't uh, think he did. I got some buddies that went, so they never. I thought he was training for that thing, but he uh, he's riding really well right now, and he's he's uh, he's got his life together, and he's got his head together, and I'm, mm-hmm. uh, I'm pretty proud of him. He's a good kid. Yeah, he is. he's a good kid, you call him. That's funny. <laughs> That's yeah. how you remember him, right? Uh, yeah. Let's talk about your career a little bit, uh, unless you got anything else to say about your schools or anything like that, but uh, anything else? You want to talk, talk about your career? 
No, I would just like to say that um, you know now that now my son's 20 years old and he's uh, he rode he, he rode racing you know started racing all the way up until he was uh, just about ready to turn pro last year and then mm-hmm. we decided against it and so he's been helping me out of my schools quite a bit and um, you know I can't I can't even begin to keep up with him he's uh, he's on another level <laughs> yeah yeah but it's uh, it's been a lot of fun we have a blast riding together and and uh, and he helps me out quite a bit like I said when it comes to my schools right right oh that's cool yeah father son nice. Absolutely. Um, uh, he was probably a baby when I was around. I was there in like '92 or whatever. So yeah, he was born in '89. Oh, jeez, wow. Um, let's talk about your career, and uh, I mean, it was a great one at that. I mean, three national titles. But one thing I wanted to talk about, and I remember talking to you about this 20 years ago, was uh, the 1976 season. You raced the 125 Nationals and the 125 World Grand Prix. I mean, that's that's insane to think about nowadays. I don't know if that's ever been done. It's never been done since. I don't know if it was ever done before. I mean, that had to have been just nuts for you. You know, it, it was never done until I did it, and it's never been done since I did it. Um, <laughs> right, yeah. It was crazy, and, and, and I think part of it was the reason it was, is twofold. One is, in 74 and 75, um, I dominated the, the Nationals out here, and there was mm-hmm. we pretty much didn't have uh, anybody to to, uh, to run with us. Right. And uh, in 76, unfortunately, um, you know, uh, we had a bike in 76 that we had uh, nothing but mechanical problems with all season. Mm-hmm. And so... At the beginning of the 76 season, Honda says, hey, um, um, are you interested in riding the GPs? Well, to ride a GP uh, circuit was was probably one of the one of the most um, one of the most uh, sought after classes you could ride if right. you want to look at it that way. Yeah. So I said, absolutely, I'll ride the GPs. And they said, well, uh, well, that's good, but we want you to ride the Nationals too. Can you think <laughs> you can pull it? And I said, well, right. let's give it a shot. And they said, okay, this is wow. what we're going to do. They entered me in half the GPs. Mm-hmm. And um, and we did all the nationals and half the GPs. And and basically, uh, it, and it ended up running across the whole GP season. But we had we had select GP events. We'd have two here, one there, three there, two right. there type of thing. And um, you know, it wasn't as hard as people thought. Um, really? I, you know, I, no, I wasn't. You know, I flew back and forth each week. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I'd stay there two or three weeks, and I'd come back here for two or three weeks. The, the ones that were tough, Steve, was when I when I'd have to fly. To Europe um, after after a national, I'd leave a national, jump on the plane, fly to Europe, and ride a, a GP that following week. Yeah. Jump on a plane, come back to USA the next week. Um, those were the tough ones. Yeah, I bet. I mean, it's just insane to think about. Hey, hey, Reedy. Um, yeah, you're going to do the World GPs and the uh, the U.S. Nationals. I mean, he would. You know, he would immediately quit or fire his agent or whatever. It's 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 crazy. It's a, it's a massively underrated accomplishment. I believe you got fourth in the GPs. Did you not? Third. Third. Okay, third. So yeah, that was the highest any American had ever placed at that time. Right at that time, the Euros were kicking everyone's asses. So I mean, third place. You you didn't race all the GPs. I imagine probably Rayher, Gaston Rayher probably won. And Gaston, he did win it. And um, I don't remember who got second, but I do know that um, the half the GPs that I was entered in, Steve, mm-hmm. I DNF'd in almost half of those events because of the bike again. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Now. uh yeah, I just that's a, that's an underrated thing. I I can't I tell people about that and they kind of go yeah yeah whatever. But I'm like no, you don't understand. He did that both. <laughs> um, and those are the days too. Like traveling wasn't easy in Europe. Didn't there's no internet, there's no cell phones, there's none of that. You know, there's smoking on the planes. <laughs> yeah, it was brutal. It really was brutal. And, and and to top it off, I hated Europe. I hated the people in Europe. The um, the people in Europe gave gave me anything but a warm welcome over there. Yeah, really, huh? Were they? Oh, was it the whole throwing bottles at you and moving oh, the fences bottles, and all that? Throwing rocks, throwing branches, throwing mud. <laughs> you, you name it. Um, if they could pick it up and throw it at, at a guy, they would throw it at me. And um, I, I, you know, I, I remember I, I, I strict, uh, distinctly remember this one race in Belgium, which was Gaston's home track. Right. And um, you know, Gaston got the whole shot, and I got a second or third place start, and I worked up, and I came up and I passed him on about the fourth lap or fifth lap. Mm-hmm. And I started pulling away, and uh, you know, people were 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 you know throwing their arms at me and throwing their fists at me as I was going by. Well, my frame broke in half. <laughs> And I didn't finish the race. Right. So in between motos, Steve Whitelock, which used to be the AMA director just mm-hmm. recently, yep. well, he was the team manager for Europe. And uh, 
Steve went to the FIM and said, hey, we've, uh, we want to uh, uh, check in this new frame. Right. Marty's frame broke. We got a brand new frame. Well, uh, the FIM, Feder- the Belgium FIM Federation mm-hmm. made up some new rule that said you have to ride each race with the same frame. Oh, jeez. Well, t- so, yeah, I didn't get to ride the second moto. They didn't want me out there beating their gas on the second moto. Right. So uh, I DNF that moto, and then, shoot, I think one time in, we were in France the year of the drought back in 76. No rain back there, and it was really dry and dusty. There was no water on the track. Um, I had a 45-second lead the first moto and broke a chain. Uh, fixed it, came out for the second moto, had a 30-second lead, broke a chain again. DNF both motos uh-huh. that day. I should have won all four of those motos. So, so, yeah, we had a hell of a year that year, Steve. You, I mean, you had a works bike in both continents, and it couldn't stay together. No. Uh-huh. And, 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 and as it ended up... Uh, we didn't even finish the, uh, the the nationals on a works bike. We did it on an FMF bike from Donnie Emler. And it was better than the works one, I take it? It, it, it was it, it was better and it was worse. In some respects, it was better um, because it ran clean, but it just wasn't. It just didn't have the throat, the throatiness of that 125 factory bike. But it, right. it stayed together and it was consistent. Now, yeah. my factory bike just, uh, we had carburation problems. We had suspension problems. It was, uh, wow. it was a mess. And then, I don't know if you remember, but about halfway through, Honda came out with a Type 2 factory bike. No, no, I was four, Marty, so I yeah. don't remember. <laughs> well, Honda came out with a, with a new yeah. version of our works bike right. halfway through the season. And um, at Delta, Ohio, and I smoked, smoked everybody in both motos, right? Yeah. So, so you're like, cool, then, I'm set, right. Yeah, and then uh, and then Honda pulled it back and said, no, we're not going to let you ride this one because uh, somebody tried to claim it after Delta, Ohio. Oh, man. Yeah, and the uh, Honda room. didn't want to lose that bike, so they took it back to Europe, and then that's when I was relegated to riding a uh, production bike the rest of the year because our original factory bike was just such a piece. Right, right. Oh, man. Yeah, it was a tough year. Uh, yeah. So what was so different about the 76 model to the 75? Was it all new? Because the 75 yeah, the, was bitching, obviously. Yeah, the 75 and the 74 was really bitching, and they made a bunch of changes. Um, and, 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 and in fact, it wasn't that they made so many changes. It's just the changes that they did made, um, nothing worked. Mm-hmm. They went backwards. Uh, was Dave Arnold your mechanic then? Dave Arnold was my mechanic. I want to have him on one of these. I'm going to chew his ass out. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, you got to, hey, you can't chew his ass out. I'm he kidding. Did, <laughs> I know you are, but he did, um, he went to bat for me so much. Right. If it wasn't for Dave, we, we probably wouldn't even ended up uh, second that year. Dave did Dave did above and beyond what a mechanic should do. Yeah, really. Now, uh, awesome. so straight up, you could have been world champion had you stayed all year and maybe the bike stayed together. I mean, you were better than Rayher. You really feel like that? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to say that I was better than Gaston. Mm-hmm. Um, Gaston, God bless him, is, is, is passed away from cancer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and I'd never want to say anything like that. But I, I could say that uh, the outcome would have been a whole lot different if I'd have had a different bike and if I'd have rode the whole series. Yeah, you, uh, you ended up losing the, the 125 national title to some kid named Bob Hanna. Yeah. And, uh, and you lost the world title. And uh, yeah, tough year. I, I, again, a major accomplishment to me t- that you had you rode both. I just can't believe that back in those days. I mean, but so I don't know. I mean, good, good on you. I, I guess had, that's why I had so much uh, so much drive behind me in '77 to to beat Hannah because you know he came in and beat me in '76. Right. And, and you know I wasn't one of these guys going to say, hey, look at look at our bike was a piece of crap. That's not my style. Mm-hmm. Hey, it is what it is. I got beat. I got beat. I'm not going to look for excuses. But but I tell you what, on every every start line I was on in the '77 500 class, yeah, it's all I kept thinking about is revenge. I'm going <laughs> to I want revenge. Uh, how, how bad did it get between you guys? I know there was a massive rivalry, and, and he, you know how Bob is. His, his stories are legendary. I mean, was it pretty nasty between you two? Uh, you know, on the track, it got pretty nasty. Did it? Yeah. Absolutely. Like, like nowadays, the riders would probably be complaining, are you saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what? It, it might not have been to that point, but it was it was right very much close to that point. Really? Um, yeah. We had a whole lot of respect for each other out on the track. We mm-hmm. really did. And, and and most people thought we hated each other. And, and, and actually, on the track, I did hate Bob. And, yeah. and Bob hated me. And, and if it was any other way, we would never have been the fierce competitors that we are. Right, right. Because 
because if you're a competitor in whatever sport you're in, you can't love your you can't love your competition. Yeah, I remember one time an interview with him. He he said, you know, he, he, he it was hard for him because you were kind of his hero, and here he was. He had to hate you. You know what I mean? To beat you, <laughs> yeah. like he had to hate you. That was Bob. He had to get the hate on, and yeah. uh, and it was tough for him. <laughs> and, and it's true. And, and and knowing Bob, knowing Bob, and knowing how he was off the track and on the track, um, it it made me have. Uh, a lot of respect for him because Bob was doing his job just like I was. And and it's funny that people. I mean, you're legend. You're sort of legendary for your 125 prowess and coming on the scene and looking so good and you know being the the uh, epitome of California cool. But you won the 500 class in '77, and uh, so you could ride the big bike too. Talk about the '77 season with you and Bob. I don't know too much about it as far as how it goes. Did you guys split the races? Did you did you beat them pretty good? How did it go? Now, 77 was uh, it was a bitching year. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, it's bitching because I won, but the, the, the <laughs> yeah, exactly. That championship was incredible. Um, I jumped out to an early lead about the first three or four races, mm-hmm. and then um, the last half of the races, um, um, I had some crashes or bad starts or whatever. And Bob, it just worked out where where I rode really well the first half and mm-hmm. had some mistakes and had some problems the second half. And Bob didn't ride as well the first half. He had some crashes, had some mistakes, and then he rode really good the second half. So it pretty much came down to the last race. I mean, you couldn't have scripted it any better, Steve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, really. And we both went down to St. Pete, and it was the final. And I think I had um, – um, we might have been tied on points even. We might have been tied on points. That even. was the sand track? Was that the gnarly sand track? Yeah, yeah. yeah it was one of the gnarly sand tracks. All the Florida tracks were gnarly. But right. um, we got down there, and uh, and uh, uh, I don't remember. I think I think I might have got the whole shot, and Bob passed me, and I followed him. We were probably about uh, a quarter, a third of the way through the track, through the heat, uh, through the 45-minute motor. Mm-hmm. And uh, Bob's throttle cable broke. Oh man! And so uh, I just went around him and ended up uh, cruising and to the victory, uh, the first moto, and uh, pulled 25 point lead on him. So really, the second moto, all they had to do is just motor, motor yeah. around and finish. And um, and that's what I did. Uh, Croft won. I think Hannah got second. I got third. And, and you, you were thinking you to yourself, it was sweet revenge for the previous year when your bike couldn't stay together. Oh, you know it, man. I just <laughs> I was so stoked. And and in that new DVD that I came out with this year um, it's got a lot of that a lot of that footage from St. Pete on there and it's it's got me winning the uh, you know accepting my trophy there mm-hmm. all live footage and uh, and it just brings back so many memories we need to uh, we need to review that thing in Racer X I don't know if we have we I think to... you have I have think we? when it first came out okay. and, um, and I'm really I'm really grateful for, for Davey and, and, and Scott and all those guys that, that, that checked it out because they gave it a great review and <clears throat> really um, a common a common <laughs> a common footnote that they all said is your dad filmed it. first they would say who the heck filmed this uh-huh. and I would say well it's my dad yeah. and uh, they just said my dad deserves so much cr- credit because all the footage is incredible right right it's it, all it's it all really like in is. focus and following you well and everything like unbelievable it's, like it's unbelievable. like Luke, Lucas directed it or something it's, it's so bitch and yeah I had it all digitally re-enhanced and, uh, and it just came out uh, <clears throat> incredible right right now uh so 77 comes, and then uh, 78, it, uh, you had that crash in uh, Houston. I, was it Houston? Yep. Uh, we've, I've seen it on a bunch of f- video footage. Um, it, I think it's on my, my DVD, The World's Greatest Supercrosses, also. What an ugly, ugly crash. Uh, what happened? What, what, what went wrong there? Uh, I got the whole shot. I was yep. going into the first turn. It was fast, too. And um, well, are you sure you're thinking about the Houston one, or are you thinking about the Coliseum one when I went over the bars? Oh, maybe it was Coliseum. Yeah, I'm thinking when you went over the bars, gnarly. Yeah, that's that was a different event. Oh, okay. So Houston, what you Houston? You dislocated your hip. Yeah, and it was I, a- I had the whole shot, mm-hmm. and um, one of my uh, I think it was my teammate Steve Weiss, and it was an accident, of course. Mm-hmm. Came in and and, and uh, took a bunch of us out in the first turn. And uh, me being one of them, I was at the bottom of the pile and uh, had my hip dislocated. So that was pretty much the beginning of the end of my career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you, yeah, I read that about that. You said it was incredible pain, huh? It was just, it was just gnarly. Unbelievable pain. Wow. And then, I mean, back. I mean, if guys do it now, but you know they're back racing. So I imagine the the medical technology wasn't as great back then. Um, and, and, and they know a lot more about mm-hmm. how to treat a dislocated hip. When um, one of the most important things. To, uh, 
when you have a dislocated hip is to get it back in as quickly as possible. Yeah. Well, um, mine happened at 10 o'clock at night at the start of the main. Mm -hmm. um, the first mistake is AMA let the race go on. Um, being that I was like one of the top guys there, I, I, uh, I was like top in points in Supercross that year. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'd just come off of a 500 championship. So, you know, I was one of the top guys, and uh, if not the top guy. And then um, I go down on the first turn, and they let me lay there for the whole entire, uh, you know, Jeez. main Supercross. Really? You just yeah, laid there? I just laid there. They they had a medic there, and they wouldn't, mm -hmm. you know, they didn't stop the race. They should have stopped the race and got me out of there and got me, got me, you know, got me some uh, some uh, medical aid like right away yeah, yeah. and get this thing back in 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 the position where it should have been in. Mm -hmm. Well, I laid there for the whole race. They carted me off to the hospital. Um, they didn't have facilities to put it back in. They didn't have the doctors there. Mm -hmm. Saturday night, the doctors are all out partying and yeah. shit, you know. Who knows? And uh, so it, until 5 a.m. in the morning, I laid with my my. From, hip out. So seven hours. It was ridiculous. Oh man! So that was a tough injury to come back from, huh? Impossible. Yeah, I, I just didn't have it in me. Right, right. And so you kind of went through a couple of uh, shaky years there, and you switched to Suzuki. How uh, your career on the way out? But you kind of did, did they just offer you a bunch of money? How'd that go down? Where going well, to Suzuki? Um, you know, after I hurt my hip in '78, mm -hmm. um, I rode a couple more events at the end of that year just to kind of stay on the bike. Um, in '79, I rode for Honda again, and they, um, you know, I just, I, I, I mentally. I mentally didn't recover from that injury, yeah. and my heart wasn't in it. And um, after that year, Honda just said, "Hey, you know, um, you know, between the two of us, it was a mutual agreement. Hey, you know, you, we're not happy with you, and I wasn't happy with what they're offering for me. I felt they should have gave me more for what I'd given them to that point. Yeah, so I had a bad year, big deal. <clears throat> but anyway, it didn't work out, and I went my way, and I was going to retire then. Mm -hmm. And uh, Suzuki came up and gave me a great offer, and uh, money-wise, so I took it and rode for them for two." years yeah and uh and did pretty decent right i mean i you think know, I you were right yeah i mean i wasn't i wasn't the top dog like i was with honda but um you know i was uh, i was in the top five and um right, you know, I, right. I won a few races here and there but um kind of kind of like i said it kind of was uh kind of was the end of my career where where i just didn't have it just didn't have that drive anymore mm -hmm. and that just happens i think i think when i think about your career and i look at it on paper uh, which is, you know, all I can really do because I wasn't around back then. I look on your career at paper and I think about had you concentrated on one series uh, in in '77. Uh, or 76 how'd you uh how'd you not dislocated your hip you know uh i think you're you're, you're even though your career was impressive it might have been a whole lot more impressive had you you know you seem like you came and went pretty quick with that hip you know so yeah and, and and it's it's nice of you to say that and and i do agree with you but i also look at it like this um you know i'm a firm believer in things happen for a reason mm -hmm. and uh, it just wasn't meant to be um any longer of a career than it was right right you know it was what it was and and, um, my life is what it is now, and it might have been. My life now might be different if I ended up racing longer. Yeah, I might not have ended up um, meeting my wife or being with my wife, who I'm still with now, and and have the kids that I have to this day, and and, and the life that I have right now. So yeah. I wouldn't want to change one second of my career. That's uh, that's a good way of looking at it for sure. Yeah, you know, that's that's good. Um, your wife was a postal worker when I stayed with you. She was, and now she's retired. She's, uh, okay, all right. She's she's bringing home my retirement money now. I got it <laughs> to this point. Now she's going to carry us the rest of the way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Huh? What? Uh, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was a great career. One of the old timers told me that you were the first guy to get a hundred thousand dollar championship bonus. Is that true? I wonder where that went. Yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. remember that. Oh, okay. All right. That's what I heard. Somebody said Marty was the guy that really made big money. You know what I mean? You were the kind of the first guys to to break the no, bank that I, way. I did not get <clears throat> I did not get a hundred thousand dollar championship bonus money. Oh, okay. Um, All right. I might have got somewhere uh, somewhere upwards of fifty or seventy five, but yeah, yeah. I know I didn't get a hundred grand. <laughs> You're like no way. When you retired, did you have a little nest egg put away? Were you all right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was good. I put a little money away, but um, you got to be really careful. And if I had any advice to give any of these up, up and coming riders, it would be, it would be, uh, you know, collect each paycheck like it's your last paycheck mm -hmm. and, and invest it wisely because it goes very fast. I yeah. Uh... I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but there's not too many guys doing that these days. <laughs> nope. 
Um, yeah, they're buying trucks and cars yeah. and street bikes and shit, you name Motorhomes. How about those motorhomes in the pits? Yeah. Those things are uh, quite, the, quite the sight. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, um, well, hey, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. I, uh, I'm pumped that you got to got to do this. I, I, you're one of the guys that you know, legend in the sport. And like I said, I'm not old enough to remember you riding, but I know that I'm, I'm well aware of your status. So, thank you. Well, I appreciate that, and, and I appreciate you guys taking the time to uh, want to even interview an old guy like myself. Well, yeah, no, I know you had to get on there, and I, I really was hoping that you'd come on and be like. You tell everybody that I was only, you know, a couple seconds away from being a factory star. But eh, that's okay. I'll settle with what you did. <laughs> um, so once again, people can check out MartySmithMotocross.com? Yeah, that's it. All right. And uh, come to my schools. You're going to learn a lot. Yeah, yeah. And uh, hopefully I'll see you probably one of the Anaheims, I guess, huh? We'll see you at Anaheim 1, I'm sure. All right, Marty. Well, thanks very much. Have a good night. Steve, good to talk to you. And uh, say hello. How are your parents? Uh, they're good. Yeah, they're good. Thanks for asking. Um, one lives on the west coast of Canada. One still lives in Winnipeg. So oh, they're, they're not together. Wow, not to, not together. Uh, and my brother's still around. You know, he's living up in Winnipeg. So everything's everything's good there. You Excellent. Know? Yeah, thank you for asking. Well, Steve, good to talk to you. And, and thanks, for, uh, thanks for all the hospitality again. It was great. Yeah, no problem, Marty. I'll see you around, man. Take care, Steve. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Fly Racing Steve Mathis Show. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as... The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Storbeck is that he never said sorry. Because Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunas. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And, and Magoo was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right. And, right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't have been there. The Hurricane, Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think yeah. he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Poland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? Right. They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take the money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, like beating a dead horse, I mean, you know, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Go circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I had pulled pick and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. Been no problem. My my ego got in the way, you know. The O Show, Johnny Omar. Stuff that you could you sit there, you didn't even want to ride it. You just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes Store to enjoy these and over 800 great motocross podcasts. Hey, 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 hey,